Our second scripture this morning is from the book of Genesis, chapter 21, verses 8 through 21. Verse 8 begins right after the birth of the long-awaited, much-promised Isaac. I'm reading from the Common English Bible this morning. Listen now for God's word. The boy, Isaac, grew and stopped nursing. On the day that he stopped nursing, Abraham prepared a huge banquet. Sarah saw Hagar's son laughing, the one Hagar the Egyptian had born to Abraham. So she said to Abraham, send this servant away with her son. This servant's son won't share the inheritance with my son, Isaac. This upset Abraham terribly because the boy was his son. God said to Abraham, don't be upset about the boy and your servant. Do everything Sarah tells you to do because your descendants will be traced through Isaac. But I will make of your servant's son a great nation too because he is also your descendant. Abraham got up early in the morning, took some bread and a flask of water and gave it to Hagar. He put the boy in the shoulder sling and sent her away. She left and wandered through the desert near Beersheba. Finally, the water in the flask ran out and she put the boy down under one of the desert shrubs. And she walked away from him about as far as a bowshot and sat down, telling herself, I can't bear to see the boy die. She sat at a distance, cried out in grief and wept. God heard the boy's cries, and God's messenger called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, Hagar, what's wrong? Don't be afraid. God has heard the boy's cries over there. Get up, pick up the boy, and take him by the hand, because I will make of him a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well. She went over, filled the water flask, and gave the boy a drink. God remained with the boy. He grew up, lived in the desert and became an expert archer. He lived in the Paran Desert, and his mother found him an Egyptian wife. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A few short weeks ago here in worship, we commissioned folks from Forth who were going on one of our summer trips, including, as Matt has already mentioned, all of our junior high youth and adult leaders sitting in the first two pews in the front of the sanctuary this morning and are leaving right after this service for St. Louis. During that time of commissioning, I offhandedly remarked that we needed one more adult leader for that trip. Uh, And within hours, I had six different people email me or come up to me and say that they were willing to go. So I drew a couple of conclusions from that episode. First was that I should do this more often. Stand up in front of you, tell you when we need youth ministry leaders. Secondly, this is a great congregation filled with lots and lots of people who are eager to support young people. Too many people in this case, actually. The arrangements with our host in St. Louis had already been made. We really only could take one more person. So I had to pick, I had to choose, which I did, it was great. But then I had to call five people, some of you are hearing this now, and say to them, thank you so much, but, but you weren't picked. <laughs> That's the part that stinks. 
the part where you're not picked. And that happens all the time, doesn't it? We are not picked far more often than we are picked. The odds are almost always stacked against us. Hundreds of applicants for a single job means that your resume is not likely to be the one that comes to the top of the pile. 61,221 high school seniors applied to Harvard last year. 61,221. 1,984 were admitted. 97% of the applicants were not picked. It goes further than this. None of the comments that I've submitted to the YouTube videos of various fountain pen channels have yet to be picked to be read in the next video and receive a free pen. <laughs> None of them ever will, probably. I understand the math, but I'm still a little disappointed. It stinks to not get picked. Most of the time, we don't get picked. Call us Ishmael, because Ishmael didn't get picked either. Ishmael, son of Hagar the Egyptian, is not the chosen child. His younger half-brother Isaac is chosen instead of him. Ishmael's role in the story is to be the one who was not picked, and the entire story is about the people who were picked. The story starts in Genesis 12 when God plucks a childless couple, Abram and Sarai, out of obscurity and promises inconceivably to make a great nation out of them, to bless them and to bless all of the families of the earth through them. And from that point on, the remainder of the biblical story is about this people, the people God picked, how God promised them a land, how God delivered them from bondage in Egypt and gave them a law, a way of life to live by, how God brought them into that promised land, how God sent prophets to them, how God accompanied them in exile and then led them home again. The Bible is the story of the picked people, all of it, even through Jesus, because Jesus comes with a genealogy of this same people. Jesus tells people that his primary mission is to his fellow Israelites, to his fellow chosen people. So the early church is made up entirely of those people. That is until some of the non-picked people show up and start to participate. And guess what? It turns out they're picked too. Their pastor, the Apostle Paul, writes some of them a letter in Galatians and rehashes this Sarah and Hagar Isaac and Ishmael story as an allegory and he says to these Gentile believers in Galatia, you my friends are children of the promise like Isaac. Ishmael, according to this analogy, is not. I'm inclined to treat this distinction with scorn. It cuts against most of my instincts and what I want to believe. Isaac and Ishmael, children of the promise, children of the flesh, the picked and the not picked, it all seems kind of arrogant to me. But then the promise of God doesn't operate on human criteria. This child of promise, this Isaac, is a miracle. Isaac shouldn't B. Isaac's an impossibility. He's the punchline to a joke that his geriatric parents have laughed about for years. 
Abraham and Sarah from the first time they're introduced in this story are defined by two main characteristics. They're old and they're childless. And it's worse for Sarah than it is for Abraham because the story doesn't tell us they're childless. The story tells us she's childless. Abraham and Sarah are not the people you pick to found a great people. And yet here is Isaac, as plain as the nose on his mother's face, promised as security for his parents' future and the future of a family of descendants they can't even imagine more numerous than the stars in the sky. Promised and promised again and promised again. Here is Isaac, fully weaned and everything. It's hilarious. That's what his name means. Isaac, the name means laughter. Because at his birth, his mother said, God has brought laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. Isaac is the fulfillment of God's promise that weeping may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Isaac is the sign that those who mourn are blessed by God because they will be comforted. Isaac is the sign of the promise that the Lord does not see as mortals see who look at the outward appearance. The sign that God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Isaac is all the sign that we need that the grass may wither and the flower may fade but the word of our God will stand forever. Isaac is the sign of that promise. And this promise, the scripture says, is for you. It's for your children. It's for your children's children. Because the promise of God doesn't pick who we would pick. The promise of God comes to those who no one picks, nobody even pays attention to, the overlooked and the passed over, the laughed at, the put off and the put out. The promise of God comes to those without health insurance or an inheritance or a 401k or a house to pass on to their own children. The promise of God comes to those who have more regrets than they have degrees, those who have more days of doubt than they have days of belief. The promise is for the people who can only laugh at it, who can only laugh at being found in a church of all places, wretches who were lost but have been found. Yes, the promise is for you. You, my friends, are children of the promise. And the best thing about this promise is that it is free. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to qualify for it. You don't have to get pre-approved for it. It's a gift. It's free. But that doesn't make it cheap. There's a difference. Sarah knows that difference deep in her soul. She knows what this promise is worth and what it has cost her and so she will cling to it with her life and she will resist anyone who appears to threaten her Isaac's inheritance. Ishmael is not that child of the promise according to Galatians again but a child of the flesh. Whose flesh? Well, Ishmael is born of Sarah's schemes few chapters earlier, Ishmael is Sarah's hedge against the ridiculousness of this promise that she would have a child of her own at this age. When she'd heard enough of promises without any actual results, 
Sarah took matters into her own hands and she told Abraham to marry her Egyptian servant and to produce an heir through him. And I wonder what that must have cost Sarah to make that suggestion. I wonder what it must have cost her for Abraham to just be like, okay. I wonder what it must have cost her for it to work. And then to watch her handmaid prepare a nursery for her husband's child. I suspect it cost her a lot. And there came a point where she didn't want to pay anymore. And so she turned on Abraham and she said, this is terrible and it's your fault. And Abraham threw Hagar under the bus in about as much time as it took him to agree to marry her. And then Sarah turned on Hagar and treated Hagar terribly. So badly that Hagar left. Hagar ran away. And that arrangement probably would have suited Sarah just fine, but Hagar came back. Hagar came back and Ishmael was born and Sarah kept waiting. And now her wait is over, thanks be to God, and she's going to make sure that her servant and her son stay away for good this time. It is the laughter that sets Sarah off. Did you catch that? It's the laughter. Sarah sees Ishmael at this banquet and he's laughing. And in response to that laughter, she demands Abraham send him away. Now, some ancient rabbis speculate, commenting on this story, that Ishmael must have been laughing in mockery at Isaac. Or that Ishmael was laughing at the banquet guests. Like, why are you celebrating? I'm the firstborn. The inheritance is mine. The story doesn't say anything like that. The story only says Hagar saw Ishmael laughing. And to Sarah, that laughter is a threat. Her vision at this point in the story of God's promise only has room for one. And Ishmael does not fit the vision of the traditional family that Sarah was promised. So she kicks Ishmael and his mother out of the house. Ishmael is probably a teenager. Despite the story's reference of his mother's shoulder sling, the math of the story suggests he's probably around 17 years old when Sarah kicks him out. Matt mentioned it's the last Sunday of June. It's Pride. It's Pride Month around the world. It's Pride here at Fourth Church. We know very well that the experience of being kicked out of a family because you don't fit somebody else's vision of what a family is and should look like is one that many LGBTQ teenagers are still having. Last year, the Trevor Project released research that showed that LGBTQ youth are overrepresented among young people experiencing homelessness and housing instability in the United States. 28% of LGBTQ youth reported experiencing homelessness or housing instability at some point in their life, 35% among transgender and non-binary youth. 14% of those youth reported that they were kicked out or abandoned And 40% of those said that that was because of their LGBTQ identity. These are more than statistics and research. These are stories, every single one of them. And I don't know, it's maybe your story or the story of somebody that you know and somebody that you care deeply about. Maybe the story is not about getting kicked out of the house. Maybe it's a story of hiding until it was safe to come out. Maybe it's a story of a family that wouldn't come to the wedding, doesn't want to visit. Maybe it's a story of harassment and discrimination 
threats and even violence, those stories are multiplying, church. Your story belongs here. Hear that. Your story belongs here. Just as Ishmael's story belongs here. The church's story is not complete without the stories of LGBTQ persons. Just as the story of Abraham and Sarah and their promised child is not complete without the story of Ishmael. It has to be here. Matt mentioned several members of our church are going to the pride parade later this morning. They're going to wear matching t-shirts. It's going to be great. If you have time, you should go. It's a way that our church shares the fuller story of God's welcome to all people. Somebody you might see or even run into at the parade this morning uh, is Sarah Cunningham. Sarah Cunningham will be marching with her organization called Free Mom Hugs. My wife and daughter marched with Free Mom Hugs in the Chicago parade in 2019. Free Mom Hugs is what a fuller vision of God's promise for all people looks like in action. In 2015, Sarah, whose son came out to her as a teenager, attended a pride festival and she made a button and put it on her shirt and it just said free mom hugs and then she stood there on the street and she held out her arms for anybody who wanted or needed a hug. Turned out a lot of people needed that. One of them in particular told Sarah that she had not been hugged by her own mother in four years. So free mom hugs went from being a button to an entire organization. And then in 2018, it really took off because Sarah posted this to Facebook. PSA, if you need a mom to attend your same-sex wedding because your biological mom won't, call me. I'm there. I'll be your biggest fan. I'll even bring the bubbles. <laughs> people took her seriously. And so she found herself standing with people at their weddings. And then she found herself officiating weddings. And she found herself unable to keep up with the demand, so she had to recruit more people, and then she started having those people do other things, like send wedding gifts and care packages. That's when my wife Meredith got involved. Sarah and Free Mom Hugs want people to know that they are treasured. Treasured. Even though who they are might not fit in somebody else's vision of what a family is and should look like, they most certainly fit into God's vision of a family. God's vision for God's family includes Ishmael, treasured Ishmael and Hagar. There is still a promise for them and there always has been. Laughter is the meaning of Isaac's name. Ishmael's name has a meaning as well. It means God hears. And so God hears Ishmael and Hagar in the desert, hears in the exact same way that God will hear the descendants of Isaac when they're in bondage in Egypt later in the story. And in the exact same way that God will be with the chosen people through the exodus and exile and everything else, God will be with and will remain with Ishmael and Hagar and their descendants. The story is not complete without them. For the love of God is broader than the measures of the mind, is how our hymn will put it. There is indeed a wideness in God's mercy. That mercy is so wide and so expansive that it's hilarious. And as we sing it, we should be laughing. Laughing that the mercy of God includes all of us. 
those of us here in the sanctuary, those of us online, those of us joining the congregation for the first time today, those of us who've been here for many years, we, friends, are children of the promise like Isaac, like Isaac and like so, so many more, like Ishmael too. Amen.